Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm Magic Brian, your host for this growing collection of interviews. Greetings from Brooklyn, New York. It's mid-June 2020, and if you're listening to this at some point in the future, you may remember that the global pandemic is still happening, and the push for racial awareness and equality through the Black Lives Matter movement has been at the forefront of the news with peaceful protests happening around the world in the effort to make change. Although things are beginning to open up in different countries, most of us are still far from being able to work a pitch and gather a crowd. There was, however, two virtual 24-hour busker festivals called World Buskers United. Over 100 performers from around the world took part in each. Maybe you were one of them. I'm hoping this podcast helps keep us all connected in some way and that you enjoy the stories and interviews. Which brings me to this episode, where Al Miller talked with Mad Chad Taylor over a meal during the Halifax Busker Festival in 2019. It was Chad's first festival in 18 years, and you can easily feel his enthusiasm and energy in this interview. He talks about getting his start at age 13, working the pitch at Venice Beach, one of the notoriously hardest pitches to work in the world, and how he first got into chainsaw juggling. He talks about his early influences, working the college market, and a great story about getting on The Tonight Show. He also talks about his documentary, Buskers for Love or Money. It's a great documentary that I highly recommend, and you can purchase it on Amazon. I'll have a link in the episode notes. Enjoy the conversation. There we go. So we're in Halifax. Halifax, Nova Scotia. Great to be back. Love this place. August 3rd, 2019, at the Halifax Busker Festival, and we're hanging out with Mad Chad Taylor. It's great to see you again, Al. It's been been quite a while, man. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) So when was the last time you were in Halifax? Uh, I was here in 2000, so... I can't even fathom that, but 19 years ago. <laughs> 19 years ago. Right? And that's around the time I met you at the other festivals was around Wellington. 2000. Wellington was like 99 and 2000, I yeah. think, when I you know, was working on my documentary and met you. So, yeah. yeah. 19 years, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, well, the other thing about that is that I I had done street shows for, you know, year, dec- several decades, but... I kind of, I pretty much quit doing street shows about 19 years ago. Actually, right. 18 years ago. After Halifax. Yeah, Halifax ruined me. <laughs> no, I did Halifax 2000, and then I did uh, I, the Denver Busker Fest was the last one I did. Yeah, right. And then I got really hooked into the college market in particular, and just whatever, all kinds of paid gigs were, were coming up. And uh, you know, being in LA, I do some commercials and work there. But so I was off the streets for all those years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because it was Chad's first festival in 18 years, and you can easily feel his enthusiasm and energy in this interview. He talks about getting his start at age 13, working the pitch at Venice Beach, one of the most notoriously hard pitches to work in the world, and how he first got into chainsaw juggling. He talks about his early influences working the college market, and a great story about getting on The Tonight Show. He also talks about his documentary, Buskers for Love or Money. It's a great documentary that I highly recommend, and you can purchase it on Amazon. I have a link in the episode notes. Enjoy the conversation. This is my first time, three days ago, it was my first time doing a street show in 18 years. Wow. And the crazy thing is, now, the, the first of all, I've kind of slow build, so the first couple days were a slower, but yeah. last night and today were probably some of the funnest shows I've done for years. Yeah. Because a lot of the paid shows, you know, some of them are fun, some of them are just not that fun. Yeah. The ones that pay the best, like corporate and stuff, usually aren't as fun. No, no, it's people in suits. <laughs> yeah, it's all tight, and then, yeah. you know, they want you to do certain things and whatever. So yeah, so it was really fun today to be back on the show. You have vchainsawjuggle.com, right? That's what. Uh, no, actually, it's uh, madchattaylor.com. Oh, right, right. But right. on social media, I'm madchattaylor or vchainsawjuggle. Yeah, exactly. Because cool, cool. yeah, I, you know, branding. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
Jack, I decided, you know, I'm not, i got to be somebody, right? So I'm the, because the Chainsaw Jack. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not the only Chainsaw Jack, <laughs> but I went for it. You're one the, of them. With the branding, yeah. I bought the streetperformer.com. Oh, that's a good one. No, yeah, that's yeah. a real good one. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, um... The, the first, I think the first guy to juggle chainsaws was, I'm, in fact, I'm almost certain it was. Well, there's two, there's two things. There's a guy in Utah who, I don't know his name, but you, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but big, big dude in Utah that juggled huge stuff. He juggled full-size pitchforks, huh. like full-size pitchforks yeah, and right. stuff, and he evidently juggled a chainsaw. Pro- he probably was the first one to do yeah, it. Right. But then uh, a guy named James Wilder, who was an act- became an actor in L.A., he had like a booming Hollywood career. Right, and right from it he as far as I know was the first guy to like get on TV and be known for it you know right how what year was that you think what's that what, what year? year was that so he he went on the Merv Griffin show the Griffin show so right. that was like late 70s I want to wow. say mid to late 70s okay yeah what kind of chance we had <laughs> no so, well, so here's the thing he so I met him later yeah. and he was like he asked me could I you know could I show him how to re- put some gas chainsaws together because he's doing these fundraiser gigs right. for, for free these charity gigs he wanted to throw a chainsaw around um, but he used on Merv Griffin's show he used some kind of weird little tiny electric ones huh. that I didn't even know they had back then, right? Right. And he didn't even, and he cut it. But the funny thing was, he cut through a piece of balsa wood that was like a little thin, like model airplane. You did the hobby shop, you know, yeah. balsa wood. It's kind of funny to see that, but uh, but then. Then on Venice Beach, I also wasn't the first guy to do it on Venice Beach. Like right. James Wilder actually did it there at some point, but then a guy named Robert Gruenberg started doing a chainsaw down there. He right, did, right. He first did it not even turned on. He got he got it. Actually, you know what he did? He was a funny guy. He had, he had a hedge trimmer, right? And he called it a chainsaw, and he didn't turn it on, but he put a wick on the end and put it put it turned into a torch. So it was oh, a, it was a hedge clipper on fire, not running, and he said it was a chainsaw. It was <laughs> a guy. London, who used to have a juggling chainsaw, he duct taped to the top of the ladder, balanced the ladder on his face. That was his thing. But that was the his best. crown build. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Okay. <laughs> I've got a chainsaw in my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and the, oh, then he never juggled it. No, no, that was it. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no. Then Robert Gruenberg did did eventually get the chainsaws going and stuff, and mm-hmm. he and he did some. He got on uh, the Tonight Show back when Johnny Carson was on, so right. he did get some exposure, and he got out there and got some good gigs and stuff. Uh, so I've been doing shows on the boardwalk for a long time, and. I finally realized, like, well, there's no one juggling chainsaws down here. Right. Uh, and so here's the thing. It was just a total coincidence. I was already thinking about that. And then I was asked to juggle a chainsaw for a commercial. It was a Miller Lite beer commercial. Yeah, it was right. 1989. And I'd How been, long have you been juggling by this point? So by 89, uh, about six years or something. Right. From and street before yeah, too? Yeah, yeah. Because right. I did my first street show at 13 years old. What? Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll go back chronologically in a second tell you that. But All yeah. Right. So I already was thinking, hey, there's no one doing a chainsaw down there. Yes. And then this director asked me, could I do it for a commercial? And I was like, well, let me check it out. You know, and I went to the hardware store and looked at some chainsaws. And I, you know, yeah. the thing about the commercial was it was a union commercial. So I get my, my SAG card, you know, get in the union. Right, right. And tons of residuals, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was like, heck yeah, I tell them I can do it, you know. And the agents called back and they said, okay, you got the gig, but you, but you got to get it together in eight days. 
And I was like, well, you never done it before? No. And I was like, oh. well, if Robert Grunberg can do it, I can it do it. It was one or three? It was one. Okay. But it was heavy back then. It was yeah. just McCulloch the Beaver that was like yeah. 12, 14 pound monster. Wow. It was gnarly. And that, so it was one chainsaw with two balls. And I practiced and I practiced. And in fact, I, I learned in a public park. Because right. I, I lived in an apartment. Yeah. And uh, so I'll never forget, you know, as you spin it, because of the gyroscoping motion, uh-huh. especially that one is more powerful than the ones I use now. If you tilt it to the side, it's not the way you're rotating it, right. but to the side, it just spun out of control like yeah. crazy. So the first yeah. time I turned it on, that happened, and, and I jumped back and it fell. And literally, somebody, a neighbor from the park, called the cops. Oh, and really? The cops came right. They didn't like pull their guns, but they were right. like, so they thought, like, this Someone's crazy dude. Yeah, they the like, what the hell, man? And they came up real serious. You know? Right. And they like, put the chains on down. And I was like, so then. Uh, then basically, once I explained myself, they were like, well, I don't think there's a law against it or anything. In fact, we right. want to see you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I literally learned to juggle the chainsaw in front, in front of the cops. police. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. They watched me like a half hour. They were like, you know, asking questions. That's and cool. And, then, and so I learned the one chainsaw. I did the commercial. But then uh, then the point was then um, the director came over as I was putting gas in the chainsaw. And he asked what I was doing. And I said, well, they said my shot was next. So I'm getting all prepped. I'm ready to go. And he looks at me like I'm totally crazy. And he says, you don't have to turn it on. He goes, what? He goes, we'll just put a sound effect over in editing. You know, you don't have to do it. Oh, and I was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> and he goes, uh, he goes, did you learn to do it running? <laughs> He's like, thinks I'm a total nut. And I'm like, well, yeah, I did. You know, I'm going to do the real thing. You know? And yeah, so then they wouldn't even let me turn it on. They were afraid of like for insurance purposes and all. Uh, they were afraid, you know, like yeah. I hurt myself. The insurance company's not going to go for that. So yeah, they didn't yeah, yeah. Let, I told them, I was like, it's better to turn on because you're going to see smoke and stuff. Yeah. And they were like, no, 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 not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. And then in the final commercial, they were so paranoid of insurance and stuff, they didn't even use the chainsaw. They didn't even use it. But I got lucky. I ended up in the commercial just with a, a half a second of me with a with a mug of beer smiling, and I got my residuals. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That funny. <laughs> it was pretty wild. So, yeah, that's how the chainsaw started. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. But the... But to back up to, to how I started in Venice, though, yeah, I was 13 years old. Damn. And I saw Jugglers at the Renaissance Fair in California. And they had this killer stage. This was the crazy thing, too, was the admission to the fair was pretty high. Usually when you're pay- when people are paying to get in, it's hard right. to collect tips. Totally. But this fair was just people were throwing money everywhere, I guess, because great tips. And they had this pitch that was like this... It was like there was a plywood stage, and it was a natural amphitheater, and it was back tucked away at the end, this quiet part of the fair, and it was one of the greatest outdoor stages, you know. So, yeah, they always do pretty so good with this. Yeah. yeah, right. And so, build like the perfect little amphitheater yeah. stage. Oh, uh, it was rocking, yeah. and I watched these guys, they killed it. I mean, they yeah. just, they were so funny. Sean and Robert, uh, if, uh, actually, no, sorry, it was before it was Sean and Dave, if anyone knows any West Coast jugglers, remember Sean and Dave from way back. 80s. Then it was Sean and Robert, and then it was Sean and Dave again. But anyway, pretty who knows them right but I watched them and I just like you know not only I already knew how to juggle and not only was I like how much fun must it be to be in front of the crowd like that but also when I saw the money going in their hat I was like right. good oh. god look at all that money they paid right <laughs> So I had a five-minute show. And like, that's all you had to juggle? Or you I learned? already learned. Sorry. I, right? uh, yeah, I got the Juggling for the Complete Clutch, the book, with right? the bags for Christmas. Oh, nice. And uh, so then I saw them do all that, and uh, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to Venice Beach, you know, and right. see if I can do something. Yeah. So I did a 
a five minute show. I mean, I had you know nothing. It was like it was uh, toilet plungers because I couldn't afford props yet. You still have those in your show. Pl- well, yeah, that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> toilet plungers, the crossbows, and then at the end, I had the machetes and eating the apple. You know, the, right, that right. Was the the thing, and it was five Kill minutes long, and I just did it over and over, and uh, yeah, and I made money right away. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this. I mean, you know, I say it in the show, like, and it's true. My allowance was five bucks a week. And right. I made thirty bucks in like four hours. You know, I was like, okay, here we go. That's brilliant. But so for me, Venice Beach was the place. Yeah. And I didn't really travel to any festivals or do any other street show stuff like that for years and years. It was just, just Venice, Venice for me. Yeah, yeah. How many acts were been down there back then? So, and for me, it, I was so fortunate because, man, it was like the heyday. It was yeah. like, because back then, we could use the good spots, the big p- pagoda spots right, that right. you don't you use anymore. Right. We all had a pagoda spot, and there were enough pagodas that a lot of times you wouldn't alternate with anybody, mm. or at the most, you'd alternate with one other act. And the wow. pagodas were far enough apart and there were enough crowds, you usually didn't have to wait for the rotation of the other pagodas. You know, once yours was done, you could just start. How many shows so, would you fit in a day? Well, when I was, you know, when I was rotating, we'd probably do five, five wow. to six, uh, or four or five rotating. And then, I mean, my most shows I ever did done, there was 10 shows in a day. Right. Cause That's my record, too. Yeah, yeah. It's hot because it's it's hot. We didn't have, we weren't allowed to use voice amplification mm-hmm. either, so I'd blow out my voice mm-hmm. all the time. The sunblock and sweat up. And I get sunburned, you know, so, yeah, yeah. Was so much. Yeah, but pretty much I would try and do six shows a day, Saturday and Sunday, six shows a day. I didn't do weekdays down there. Some yeah. guys did. But at that time, there were a lot of acts down there. There was, um, uh, you know, Perry Hernandez, who's known as Hooba Hooba, the glass walker, who's glass infamous walker. and is still down there, of course. Still? Yeah, he's still there. Holy Tony crap. Vera came there for after a while. He was at Washington Square Park. Then Tony Vera fire came guy. down there. Yeah, Tony yeah. Vera, the fireman. He came down there in a while. The other juggler guy, Sean and Robert, who were freaking hilarious. They had this kid with, with a, a plant in the audience that they did the pass around around. Right, right. This guy, Aaron, that was so funny. I mean, he they just picked him. He was just some random guy in Venice that hung around that they were like, hey, come we pay you a couple bucks a day to be our plant. He ended up being, he ended up just being a natural born actor because every time he did it, you really believed it was for the first time. It right. was so great. That's awesome. And, um, and then Michael Collier came in. He was the comedian who became pretty famous down there. He was, he ended up doing a Showtime special, but, but Michael Collier was a force to be reckoned with. I had never seen someone make the kind of money he made. Right. I mean, people loved him. It yeah. was just like, we, people would be waiting there before he even got to the pitch. They'd be wait, fans would be waiting to wow. see him. And he just did uh, comedy? Yeah, and he, right, I've only seen a couple guys do stand-up comedy on the street. Him, yeah. and, him and Albert Owens in Washington Square Park, maybe. Charlie two, Barnett. Oh, Charlie Barnett, there you yeah. go. And I guess Dave Chappelle, actually, Chappelle, in Washington yeah, Square yeah. Park, too, that's true. But uh, but Michael was uh, outstanding, you know, and he made great money because he had a bit where he'd have like one of those extended hand grabber hands uh-huh. and people would pick up cans or whatever, with, yeah. and he would collect Take the money. money with that, and he would just put people the, the crowd into sections, and he's up, 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 and they'd hold the money up, and he'd yeah. grab it, and, oh, and uh, he really, I learned from him, street uh, uh, the hat the the to pass the hat better because. I saw that. I would always just hold the hat out at the end. Right. But in Venice, you really need to pass that before your final trick. Is oh, how you one make of those. money. That's yeah. how we look. And so Michael did that. He was the one who started doing that. Mm. And so I saw him do that. And so I came up with this idea to have a super soaker squirt gun because it's nice and hot at the beach. Yeah, yeah. So I would, if, I would say, if you don't pay me, I'm going to squirt you. If you get five bucks, you pick anyone in the crowd, I'll squirt them. If you get <laughs> ten bucks, you can squirt me. Yeah. And for twenty bucks, you can. 
have the damn squirt gun. <laughs> and uh, and so I thought, wow, is this going to be too, um, too, you know, too much? You know, are people going to be like, dude, you're squirting? Are you kidding me? Is this, right. this going to be offensive? And so I tried it the first time, and I'm telling you, I, I like doubled my hat the first time I tried wow. it, and I was like, oh my god, I'm doing that every time <laughs> because I had the chainsaw then, so I could pin, so they'd stick around. You know, in yeah. Venice, people don't stick around. Right. You know, if it's dead for 30 seconds, they're gone, right? So, but I had the chainsaw, so they'd stick around. So I got to pass that first with yeah. the squirt gun, yeah. and it changed the whole thing for me. You know, I suddenly was yeah. making enough money to be like, okay, I could do this. <laughs> Washington Square is the only place I've ever done that. Yeah, I've gone to do my finale. I've climbed down, collected, climbed back up again, did my finale. Nice. It was just so weird. Yeah. Well, when I first came to Canada, uh, I did the Edmonton Fringe Festival in probably 92, 93, 94, somewhere in that range. Yeah. I guess. And uh, the first time I did that, I had my squirt gun with me. Right. And a couple of other the performers there knew me. I think, uh, I can't remember who was there. A couple of other people knew me and knew how I did it. People warned me. were like, yeah, you know what? It's a little too much. People are going to be offended by that. Here. Right, I, right. I tried it one time, and I was like, they didn't like that. No, yeah. <laughs> so I started being a little more mellow. Yeah, it's always weird when, because um, it happens every year, some performer will come up from LA or wherever yeah, yeah, just to Canada and start like, pushing the crowd like that, <laughs> right, and they're just like, you know what, I was going to give you five bucks, but now I'm not. No, exactly <laughs> right. No, it definitely hurt me. I put that squirt gun back at the hotel, and I did yeah. not touch it again for the whole festival. <laughs> I was like, this is not the way to go. <laughs> yeah, for real. So we're at Fujiyama, it's a little Japanese restaurant in Halifax now. Miso soup just arrived, but... Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, by all means. But Venice is a very unique place, uh, for sure. I remember I had a... Um there's a great, uh, great Ruben, uh, flat top Ruben. If mm-hmm. uh, people know him, he's he's a brilliant dancer. Uh, his pop locking is unbelievable. I mean, the guy is, uh, and he makes his own uh, suits. These big shoulder pad cool suits. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his. But we were fighting over a pitch for quite a while to see who could get there first. Because at this point, we, there was no rotation. It was whoever gets there first. Mm-hmm. And Ruben. And I were, were fighting to see who get there first, right? So I would drive there, and I would lock up a milk crate with my name on it, and then I would go back home. Like I mean, what time? earlier and earlier, pretty yeah. soon it was eight a.m. Oh, even though man. you don't start shows till one. <laughs> and uh, so then this woman who lived across from there, uh, Vicky Towels, right? What's that? Yeah. Well, some of those towels. Yeah. So well, yeah. so first she says to me, she says, "Hey." Uh, I see you keep putting your thing out there. Oh, and one time, oh, and Ruben and I, actually, that's right. Ruben and I really got into it because one time I, I didn't lock my stuff yet. I just put the trunk out there because yeah. no one messed with it, you know, so I just did it. And then one time I got there and the trunk was gone mm. and Ruben was doing a show. And so I basically accused him of moving my trunk. Right. And he didn't like that. And he was basically, you know, puffing his chest like he was ready to fight over the whole thing. You know, he was like, I didn't touch. Are you accusing me and all this? You know, I was like, Ruben, what, what are you going to We're not going to fight over this, dude. I mean, come on. All right. You know, if you didn't move it, you didn't move it, whatever. So then anyway, then I started locking the crate. <laughs> and then she saw that. And she says, well, you know, I live right here. Uh, if you want to leave your crate, leave me the key to the lock. I'll lock it for you. You know, I'll put it there, you know, at 6 a.m. for like 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, great, you know. And then before we before we knew it, she was saving everybody's spot. Like Everyone. The performers mostly yeah. would have a crate or something. And then uh, she started doing street vendors and artists. She'd put a towel uh-huh. down where they were and all this. And she probably made some money. I'm I sure. read about this in Jim Rose's book. 
Oh yeah, it's in Jim Ross's book. Yeah. Right, 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 right. That's right. He was there. Did you ever yeah, see him? Yeah, no, we yeah, I'd see him every morning. I'd say hi, you know. There yeah. was there you know, you'd see everybody and say hi and they do your show and not see anyone else again because you're concert. But in the morning we would all chit chat and say yeah. hi. And Jim is a very nice guy. Uh it was cool meeting him. He was real nice to do an interview for my documentary, uh, right, uh, right. Oscars, which was really cool of him and yeah. Um he the 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 thing is it was amazing how he was sort of just one of the other acts in Venice, not even that big of a deal. Although he was the big side, the sideshow act out there. I mean, there wasn't a lot of other sideshow stuff going on. But his rise, you know, once he got that first, uh, was it Lollapalooza tour was the first mm-hmm. thing or whatever? Yeah. Once he got that first thing, well, he just blew up, you know. Yeah. And uh, it took me a second to realize, like, oh, wait, that's that, that you know, well, not assuming right. guy who was doing the, the sideshow yeah, yeah. thing just blew up. <laughs> but a uh, nice guy, yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. And so, who did you like? Um, who were you influenced by in the beginning? That made your show like kind of helped you form your show and stuff like that. Mm. Well, there were, and they were uh, at the Renaissance Fair. The first guys were the jugglers at the Renaissance right. Fair. Sean and Dave. This is Sean Haynes and Dave Gregory. And Dave, they had such a funny show. Sean Haynes, he was a hilarious comedy writer. And then Dave was like 19 years old when I saw him but he looked like he was 12 and they would they would shave his armpits and they would pretend he's like this this kid this juggling female. really <laughs> and he could do all kinds of great tricks they nothing, would shave his armpits. nothing compared to what people do today you know but it was like he people loved it they thought he was like a 10 year old kid or an 11 year old kid doing all this because he looked young and everything and uh, man they would kill and so it was them and then it was Dan and Barry well first it was actually first it was uh Oh, God. Before Dan. Well, anyway, the Raspini brothers. If people know the Raspini brothers. So uh, before Dan and Barry, it was uh, Mike and Barry uh, before Dan came into that picture. So I'd watch those guys. Guy named Gil Wadsworth who did a a thing. Uh, Jim Ridgely. These these names. West Coast people may know these names, but they go so far back. A lot of people aren't going to know them. But... but, um, yeah, those guys influenced me big time. Mm. And then, uh, and then just, was, yeah. just performing at um, Venice Beach made your show real tight? Yeah, to Venice Beach was definitely... Real transient audience, hey. Exactly, yeah, because yeah. the Renaissance Fair, you could you could breathe a second, you know, and mm. get away with a little more. But Venice, man, if it was slow for 30 seconds, it was, you know, right. when you have your crowds gone. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. But also uh, Butterfly Man, Robert Nelson, uh, mm-hmm. was a big influence too at a certain point. Like, there's other guys that already influenced me to a point, and then I'd been doing shows for a while, and then I saw Robert on Pier 39, mm. back when the stage was in the middle of the pier, and it was totally rocking. And man, he killed. killed it. <laughs> did you guy, go up and perform at Pier 39? I never did. No, really, it was real tight to get in there at, that, at that time. Uh, it was now. It's now because the stage isn't as good. It's easier to get in the rotation. Uh, I think. But back then, it was really they really had it nailed down. Just the certain group of performers. But right. but Robert definitely influenced me. He was uh, quite something. Yeah. Even though my style wasn't his style, you know, I wasn't like the aggressive, encouraging heckler, you know, right, right. style. But at the same time, it. Uh, he definitely had an, had an effect on me. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. I think uh, he touched all of us at some point. Yeah, most uh-huh. likely. Yeah, exactly. And he, you know, he was such a great guy helping me out with when I did my Buster's documentary. You know, mm. I didn't know a lot of the guys. You know, or if I knew of them, I had met them. Or you know, he was like, "Dude, here's all these other people you don't even know of in other countries. You got to get." You know. How did that and, come up? Like, um, had you been to like some festivals, or he just was like, "Geez, we got to make a doco about busking." Well, for me, 
I made. I wanted to make. I didn't go to film school, but I went to. My dad's a cameraman. He's a steady cam operator right. and stuff. And I. So I. Um, I'd done some different films. I'd done some classes at AFI. Not a full film school, but I'd taken classes there studying. I, like, one was about Spike Lee and Woody Allen, all these people who were, you know, sort of rogues making their own stuff and all this. So, anyway, I first made a video called The Axe of Venice Beach, mm. where I, at the pavilion that we brought back all the guys, we brought back Michael Collier, mm. and uh, the guys who were still there, who were there regularly went up and did it. I did it. My old partner Matt did the escape back. And we also brought in. Um, I was so happy you did. Uh, Peter Potofsky, if you know who that is. In, in my opinion, Peter Potofsky is one of the greatest physical comedians that ever lived. Oh, yeah? But unfortunately, he, while all his friends, uh, you know, he used to go to co- up comedy clubs with Jim Carrey and all the guys. But the thing about Peter was, he's brilliant, but he's totally dyslexic and unorganized. <laughs> like, I know a, a producer uh, in Hollywood who was the biggest fan of Peter, but he couldn't hire him for anything because he was like, he's dyslexic. I don't even know if he'll show up on time. Right. He can't read a script. I can't hire him. I want to hire him. I can't hire right. him. Right. But there was one guy, um, I forget the guy's, there's a very famous producer who's done, you know, done Academy Awards, produced Academy Awards and all that kind of stuff, who did hire Peter for a lot of stuff. And so he did TV and stuff. Um, but for people who know who Peter Potofsky is... I, kind I, of like a Kramer style, Michael Richards, like well, physical comedy? Kind of, but but ultra-physical. Like, you know, the suicide thing where you, where you uh, or 190 people call it or whatever, where you do a front flip that you'd sort of lie on your I back see. and kick the ground. You know? He did that kind of stuff. Yeah. He did these crazy faces. I mean, he was like... I mean, he is. He's like a force of nature. Like mm. before he goes on, I, I realized when when he came back for the Venice Beach uh, uh, show, I, he was so nice to come back and do it. Uh, I realized he, this dude, would have a giant thing of hot of water, hot water, and he would put in like I don't know twenty tea bags or something. So this is caffeine, is what oh I'm talking God. about here. <laughs> he is just downing caffeine before the Damn. show, and he would go out there and just kill. Go crazy. Like he does, yeah. Um, so. I brought those guys back and made a video in Venice. Mm. And at that time, it was all about uh, home video, you know, VHS home video. Yeah, yeah. And I did get a distributor, and we got it out there, and I made a little money on it. I basically broke even on it, really, but it was fun to put on the big show and get the video out there. Mm-hmm. And so then, and then I did other stuff. You know, in Los Angeles, basically in the early 90s, like when Robert Rodriguez made his own movie for $30,000, and you could start getting video cameras and make your own movie and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was trying to do their own thing, you know. So I was in a lot of different groups of people uh i had this was part of this dragon heart, heart cooperative that was like uh about eight filmmakers trying to like make stuff themselves mm-hmm. this other group 12th man productions we all got together to make stuff so so i've been trying to make my own stuff and everything and then they always say to writers they say write what you know right so i finally was like i gotta make a buster you know documentary about street performance totally yeah and so i just set out to do it i remember you had a really nice camera Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So where did you go to film it? So, um, first of all, I did local stuff. Venice Beach, basically Venice Beach was the local stuff. I did, um, I can't remember anything now, but I came here to Halifax. Yeah. I went to Windsor uh, mm-hmm. Festival. Wellington. Was that the year I was there? I believe it was, because I saw you at two festivals. When I, I saw you at Windsor and Wellington. Windsor and Wellington, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Wellington, let's see if I remember everything. I went to Japan, which mm. was cool. Uh, Brian Holtz and Dave Rave and a lot of guys over there. You went to like Key West? Yeah, Key West, thank yeah. you, exactly. New York, of course, New yeah. Orleans. 
basically I was able to, to finance it by either getting booked at the festival or in some cases like Wellington I just used you know just used flyer miles and flew there and didn't yeah. get booked there but and then other ones um, you know I had started in colleges by then so if I was doing a college near somewhere I would just stick around and, and do, you know get footage and everything yeah, yeah. and uh, it was just great how people helped out so much like Robert you know Robert Nelson helped out so much and, uh, and introduced me to so many people you know and, and the thing is Street performers, you know, are protective of their stuff, right? People aren't dying to let you video their right, shit. Right, right. <laughs> so it was pretty cool that Robert gave me a lot of introductions to people, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. Lucky Rich and, you know, you for that matter, right. or, you know, all that. But Well, that festival in Wellington was like kind of one of those who's who festivals. Mm-hmm. Lucky was there. And um, and Robert and Nick Nicholas. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nick yeah, Nick, it yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a good cast. Well, and that was part of the reason I, I just made sure to get there was mm. a lot of the other festivals when I was trying to get booked at when Robert just was like, dude, trust me, this you got to be there. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I went for it, man. But... Did you do a lot of busking festivals? Not a lot. Just a few. Really what happened to me was I wanted to start getting work in L.A. Mm. in, you know, film and television and commercials. Mm-hmm. And I have been very successful in commercials. I'm knock on wood. I'm oh, so man. fortunate. I've done like You're like in the progressive commercials. Something. Yeah, that thing was fantastic, man. That was outrageous. So, and that, you know, a lot of luck is involved with that as well. Mm. But you have to be there in town, you know? Yeah. Like literally, there was a spot, uh, there's a Canon, Canon cameras years ago when I was doing a lot of cruise ships. And I went to the audition, but they didn't have a shoot date. So all of a sudden, I'm on the cruise ship, and they want to book me. Oh. And I'm like, ah. And I'm talking to the cruise director. I'm calling the agent. And they're like, literally, there's no legal way you can even get off the ship because you're not going to be a U.S. port. You can't disembark. You're stuck. Right. I was like, oh, my God. And so I told them I can't do the commercial. Oh, man. And then literally, uh, a fire eater guy, John Stevens, uh, was in the commercial. And, you know, I know you make a lot of money on these, but I saw him a long time later, and that thing ran for two years, and he made, like, $20,000. Oh, boy. And I was like, dude, I made, like, $1,500 on a cruise ship that week. What the heck? <laughs> so, so at that point, I really made an effort to start staying in town right. and being around for that stuff. So mm. even though Venice wasn't a great pitch and didn't play killer, it kept me there to be able to audition, you know, for, for other stuff. Go so, for the bigger stuff. Yeah, yeah, so that was really my thing. And, like... I mean, in, in a way, I was trying to kind of use use street performing as a stepping stone to move up to yeah. to you know stage shows and to also be able to get TV stuff and whatever. And but I will say, if we had a better pitch in Venice, you know, if, if Pier Thirty Nine was in LA, you would have done. I probably longer. would have been doing street shows the whole way along. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. Street performing in America, it's a long, long history, but it's only a handful of pitches. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. It's like illegal everywhere. Yep. It's not. It's no good. <laughs> but I was lucky that Venice Beach was there. That's for sure. Was, mm. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise would have been traveling tons more, just trying to figure out, you know, how to make a living. When I first went to Edmonton Festival, that was my first one. Edmonton Fringe, actually. Yeah. That was the first time I did a Canadian festival. Couldn't believe how killer it was. <laughs> yeah. Like. You know, it's set up so when I heard street festival, I didn't understand, you know, there were going to be stages and lighting and sound mm. system. It was all going to rock like that. So I was actually busting out sort of bootleg shows before my scheduled shows, making like whatever $60 hats here because <laughs> that's what Venice is, you know. And then literally that night, I got the best stage there. And no joke, my hat was more money than it ever made in a whole day in Venice. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, this is why everyone yeah. comes up here. I, I need to work it. so hard. Right. 
So yeah, so that was a great experience, and and you know you can work, you can do more with your show when you know the crowd's going to have an attention span. You can totally. look out new material, put stuff in. You know, when you're in Venice, you know they're going to walk away. You're yeah. just like, I'm just going to keep doing the same show because it works. You know, and it's not, it's totally different way of thinking. And um, and so when did your, how did you release and 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 your documentary and so I got. So first I got, um, I, I fortunately have a, a childhood friend, one of my best friends, again, who's a great editor, Deshaun Dalla, who edited Buskers, uh, really made a lot of that happen. And then we got, he did a great job editing it. Um, he was able to get it screened at Sony and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. get a little hype or whatever. And then uh, I submitted to film festivals and I got interest in film festivals. Smaller film festivals. I'm on awards at three three small film festivals, but one of them is is known in LA. It's uh, Dances with Films, mm. and what they're trying to do. Everything in LA, even with, even when it seems like a small project, that no one there's someone big behind it. You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. they're trying to find the projects that there's really no one big behind. You know, like, like like my big fat Greek wedding. They sold it as like this independent thing, blah blah blah. And then it's like no, it was yeah, actually yeah. produced by uh, what's his Tom Hanks was one of them right, <laughs> behind right. it all. So dances with films, they really try and find those ones that really are independent people. Yeah, yeah. And so I, when I got into that, that was that to be able to put that on the box and everything was a big deal to distributors so then one of the festivals I didn't get into and I can't remember which one it was now damn but it was a big one I didn't get into but they had a film market there where buyers distributors while they're going to screenings they could also go to this room where there's all these monitors and they could watch the stuff you know the runners up stuff that didn't get into the full festival Yeah. so I had a distributor out of London uh, Journeyman Pictures one of the guys saw it there and called me up or emailed or whatever it was and said, uh, you know, we're interested, you know, in all this. And so eventually we made a deal. I mean, I, I got some upfront money, but basically I broke even. I mean, I basically got as much. Right. I paid the editor guy. He made a little bit of money, and I basically broke even, you know. But I was fine with that because, yeah. I, you know, I figured, hey, this this is a real legit distributor. Even though I don't make money, it's going to get out there. And, you know, so, which it did. Um, so. I feel like, you know, at least every year or someone making a, a documentary about street performing you know I said oh can, I'd like to do an interview for a documentary I'm making for film school or whatever and uh, but yours is kind of seems to be the one that's the widest distributed well I got very lucky because I will yeah. say everywhere I went to festivals and stuff everyone I did was like wow I just had three other people interview for a documentary right, like, yeah, right. it's not good for me yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I will say that my editor had a lot to do with it because yeah. I think he's really got got an eye for editing he's really good I and couldn't have made it that good how long did you edit it down to you were saying the other day a couple of hours it's 50 yeah so on my own I got it down to about two and a half hours I would say <laughs> yeah. And, and, but see, the thing is, I was, you know, sentimental or whatever. I was keeping people in because I knew, yeah. you know, like, I don't know, people know Artist the Spoon Man in, in Seattle. Like, he's, a, you know, I went up there just to interview him. Yeah. Like, literally, that's the whole reason I went there. Yeah. And he didn't end up in the final cut. Mm. <laughs> but so, because I would have never cut him out on my own because I couldn't be that brutal. You know? Of course, yeah. But in the end, the editor, you know, my editor was right, you know. You know, he, he just, because he didn't know who was like a legend or whatever. He just knew what was going to make a good movie. Yeah, <clears throat> so I just told him, you know. So the final cut was how long? 
I think 56 minutes, I want to say. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, kind yeah. of a lot of And we shot, I shot over 125 hours of footage, too. So, yeah, that's... Would you ever think about releasing the two hours and a half one that you, that you cut? You know what? Believe it or not, I can't even access any of that anymore. I, I My computer... My computer, like, totally died during this whole thing, and I literally didn't have any of my... I couldn't go back to stuff. Like, oh, we no. had to re-put it together. We had, like, a paper EDL that we had to re-put it together in my editor's computer because yeah. I had a total computer meltdown. Yeah, right. So I couldn't even go back to that cut or any of that. Wow. I do have the footage, um, but it was shot on mini-DV. I don't have a camera that will play. I have four mini-DV cameras, and they're all shot and won't play that oh, stuff man. anymore. So I don't honestly know if the... If the if the tapes are still playable or not. They're mm. not 20 years old. They've stayed at pretty much room temperature, hopefully. Yeah. But I don't even know if they can be played. You know? Wow. That'd, yeah. be cool. That'd be a cool idea, though. Release that, it. It would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I have fun looking at some of the... Just looking at some of the footage I have yeah. a kick out of, you know, seeing some old, old butterfly man and stuff, you know. Yeah. But I have to find a way to play it back. That's cool, man. And um, so you, you, you did your last Busker Fest in... 2001, you said Denver, right? Yep, love Denver. And but since then? So, I got really into the college market was right. one of the big things. The other thing is I got married and then we had kids mm. and bought a house and had kids and did all that stuff. So, it became more difficult to travel. Of course. So, uh, I started really concentrating on one night, one nighters or a couple nighters mm-hmm. like colleges, yeah. corporates, you know, short runs and fairs, whatever like that. And uh, and I was able to keep, you know, keep pretty darn busy doing it for, you know. It's been 18 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, basically the reason I'm doing this right now is that during that time, I felt like I was limiting myself because I was putting my family first. You know, I was like, I got to be here for my kids. I got to be here. Yeah. Even, I mean, even I didn't take some gigs that would have been fun, yeah. <laughs> would have paid well and been fun, you know. And I, yeah. like, uh, what's the, I forget what it's called, the Calgary Stampede, they were you right. know, offering me. And I literally just gave them a super high price because I was just like, yeah. I can only go if I make crazy money because I can't price. go, you know. I call it the fuck you price. Yeah, that's what it was. The go know? away price. Exactly right. And Sometimes they, they say yes. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so they went away, and uh, you know, and a lot of that happens. But it was, you know, it was great to be to be. You know, I'm di- I di- I'm divorced now, but it it uh, it was all great, and mm-hmm. my kids are awesome, and I'm glad I did that. But yeah. uh, um, but that's mostly what it was was trying to get TV and commercials, and then going out for you know colleges. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. And the thing for me that I got super lucky on that was when I started doing the colleges in the early '90s. Nobody had good video. Yeah. Nobody had good printed promo. Nobody had a good website. <laughs> but I had uh, my old partner Matt. Who, excuse me, Matt Cooper. I started out doing the show with, and then he did the Escape Act. He retired from that to uh, to design websites, mm-hmm. and he eventually he won an award for he was the chief designer of the Lemony Snicket movie, the Jim Carrey movie. He was the chief designer of that website. And he won, like, you know, the big... He literally was at the Kodak Theater, like, at the yeah, Academy yeah. Awards for web design, and he won yeah. the dang award. <laughs> and he's the guy who did my website and my right. layout on my stuff. And also, the chainsaw thing, I got tons of TV in the late 90s into the 2000s. Right. So I had this killer video, you know, from all the TV footage, and he made me all this other great promo. So the minute I hit that market, you know, once I went to... For, 
the thing that happened was a lot of the agencies already would have a juggler or whatever, and uh-huh. I finally figured out the agency, Bass Schuler, who they're great guys, Scott Bass and Chris Schuler, they're yeah. awesome. Sure. And they um, they didn't have really a juggler. They, actually, they had a team. They had the Raspini brothers back uh-huh. then, would do a couple colleges here and there. And, uh, and so they took me on. And they were totally dialed into the market. And the minute the promo and the video got out there, I was working up a storm. Yeah. Before I even did a NACA showcase, which is where you really book most of the work. Yeah. Before I did a NACA showcase, they booked a tour where I did like 19 shows in 21 days. Yeah, right. Paying great. And it was, like, it was like I flew into Wichita and I did this big loop up north and then back around down to Louisiana. giant loop of the country. In the rental car, right? And yeah, I returned the rental car. And the woman was like, I, was like, I think there's a mistake. It looks like you drove seven. Seven thousand miles. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> so yeah, I got super lucky with that. You know? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, that's cool, man. But so, we did travel. This is one story that uh, when I had a partner, Matt. So we're seventeen years old. We've only done street shows in LA, in Venice, and Westwood. And we had this crazy idea. Sean Haynes that I was talking about from Sean and Dave, he was house-sitting for Timothy Hutton. So it's this beautiful townhouse, you know, on the Upper West Side. And he's like, yeah, if you guys want to come hang out, I'm there for like a month or something. And we're like, hell yeah. <laughs> so so we're really going to take this trek to New York and we're going to do, we hear there's all these great street pitches in New York and we're all excited. And we're like, you know what? We had this crazy idea to take the bus instead of flying. <laughs> now, back then, on People's Express, you could fly for like 99 bucks each way. Oh, yeah. But we decided we're going to have all this free time on the bus, so we're going to write material. We're going to work on our act the whole way. Right. We're going to get there. We're going to have this great act. <laughs> <laughs> well, a Greyhound bus is so damn miserable. Right. We didn't write shit. Yeah. <laughs> we literally, the funny, I wish I saw the notebook. Maybe I do have the notebook. We had the, the writing notebook. Yeah. All, all we did was we wrote machete routine and underlined it. That's ah. all we wrote. <laughs> Three-day Greyhound trip to New York. Was, whoa, God. So then we got to New York, and it was cool because, you know, it was just a whole new experience. Like, we worked... Um, the Metropolitan Museum, the steps in front of the Metropolitan the Museum. Yeah, I don't wow. know if you can do that now, but there was I a think so. there was a mime guy there. I want to say his name was Elon or so, I believe. But hmm. and uh, so we did shows there. We did shows at the Boat Pond in Central Park. And then we did shows on Columbus Avenue, which All is right. where people go. We tried to do Columbus Avenue because there's people out there eating at restaurants. It's popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Problem Columbus Avenue. They know the trick is that it's all shops below, but it's all residential above. Ah. So what they would do is they would either throw hot water down out their window on you, oh. like literally some lady was was like burger like was like scalded from hot water, and I'm, we're like it's not our fault. I don't know what these crazy people do. They they throw if you start your show, they would throw eggs or water or oh, something to get you nah. to move because they didn't want the noise. <laughs> wow. So we were like, all right, well there goes. Uh, there goes Columbus Avenue. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. I never heard of that pitch. <laughs> no, that's why. <laughs> so then we, um, we... I'm still eating sushi, sorry. No, we got the boat pond at Central Park, and that was working out good. Yeah. Like the boat pond, we got some good crowds. There weren't... Next to the stairs? We were, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were no other acts there. There were musicians and stuff. There are static acts, but there are no other circle acts. So it was great. Yeah. Um, but the story I was going to say is that we had a great uh, thing there that 
So we're doing shows at the boat pond. It starts to rain and lightning and thunder and full on. And so we have to pack our stuff. We're getting the hell out of there. And you know, uh, if you haven't been to Central Park, you've seen in the movies or whatever, they got the bridges with the tunnels under them right. in Central Park. So we're walking by, and there's like 60 people, well, maybe 40, whatever, Mighty. staying dry under the bridge. Yeah. And then my partner, Matt, just you know says, you guys want to see a show? Just like half joking, really. Yeah. And they're all, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sort of keep walking. And they like, they're like, no, come back. Come back, you know, because right. it's it's we're getting dumped on anyway. So we're like, let's go get dry. So we did a show for a captive audience, nice. trapped under the bridge, like forty people, and it was the biggest hat all day because like everybody paid. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> ah, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> those are the best. Those random renegade kind of shows when you don't plan them. Yeah, and when you don't plan them, and when people people feel that. Uh, you know that like sense of community or togetherness yeah. that they're like they're in it together down there and you're yeah. there. I don't know. Just yeah. it's hard to explain that. But random, yeah. random pictures. Yeah, that was totally cool. <laughs> yeah. So what made you come back uh, and you know come to Halifax again? Okay, I was starting to say that is that during my marriage I felt like because we had young kids, I had to be there. I really was turning stuff down that probably would have been great. You Fun. know. Yeah. But it wasn't money, so forget it. You know. But. So I feel like I wasn't really creatively expanding myself with my performance. I was right. working on, you know, documentary or doing this stuff that was creative, but um, I wasn't being creative with my show at all. I was mm -hmm. just like, oh, another gig, go make the money, come home, you know? Right, right. And so ever since I've been divorced and my kids are, they still need care. They're 10 and 13, so it's not like right. I just leave them alone. But I feel like I have a little more freedom, and I'm just trying to get back to being creatively fulfilled because I feel yeah, like yeah. I haven't been for a long time. Yeah. So uh, I'm just kind of going with what I want to do. So I just had this idea of, God, you know what? I think I want to go to street shows again, you know? Yeah. And I didn't second guess it. I was just like, I did check out Venice Beach at once when I had this this thought uh, because <laughs> because I had the big progressive commercial, right? right? And everyone saw it everywhere. Everywhere I go, people knew it, you know? Yeah. So I, I, because I'd done the Acts of Venice Beach video down there, I had met the the like the people, the Chamber of Commerce people, mm. and the the cops and the Wreck and Parks, and I knew all the people down there. So when the commercial had been on for a while, I thought, you know what? Maybe I can approach these people right. and say, hey, I could be like not a street performer, but I could be like a tourist attraction, right. <laughs> and I could go do my show at the spot where we shot the commercial, which you're not allowed to really do a show okay. there, but it's, it'd be the best spot to do a show yeah, if yeah. you could. So I thought, oh, I'll go down there and I'll like turn this into a killer pitch and I'll make a bunch of money. Well, no. They, I went back, and most of the people were gone. Who were gone. Yeah. And then the Wreck and Parks people were just like, yeah, there's really nothing we can do. You can't perform there. And they gave me a map of the spots you can. Right, right. I was like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I just kept, I just kept having thoughts about, like, God, I don't know why they're really going to get out of some street shows, you know? So, so when I thought about this... Um, this popped into mind because this was one of my favorite places to do street shows yeah, was yeah. the Halifax Buster Mass. So I just thought last year, actually, kind of last minute, I, I sent a, an email to them saying, oh, hey, you know, check out my website. I'd love to come do it. Uh, but it was like pretty last minute. So yeah, it didn't yeah. happen. Right. <laughs> and then uh, this year I hit them again and they said, come on out. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and how have you felt uh, that the shows have been going since like, you know, since day one to now? Like. You got your chops back? Yeah, well, I don't, but more than I did the first day. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, like, I don't, uh, 
I don't have a crowd gather stick together, you know. Right. I barely have money lines together, you know. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, everyone I hear out here has great money lines, like right. just beyond just a laugh, you know. They're right. psychologically making people oh, pay, yeah. right? And like, I don't have any of that, so yeah. I'm gearing that up. And uh, as far as crowd gather, I'm just fortunate here. That I could just play high. loud music yeah. and move my props around, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> which is mostly what we did in Venice Beach too, really. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm getting it back, and it feels good, you know, to because yeah, I mean, I've been a bit lazy too. That's yeah. part, I think that's part of it is that not only did I feel like I wasn't having been you know creatively fulfilled lately or whatever because I had all this other stuff in my mind, but also just like you know I've been a bit lazy too. Yeah. With my show, you know. Um, so you said the show tonight it was the most fun you've had doing a show for a long time. It totally was no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah that pitch was well because the pitch I'm on I was on today it was really hot during the day. Yeah. But the hats are are still good because yeah. it's a big crowd. But then also when it cooled down in the evening show, People it wasn't relax. dark yet. It was evening, and literally the first joke, the first laugh, was like twice the laughter I got all day. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, hey, here we go!" <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, man, it just went from there, and I just totally yeah. loved it. Yeah, yeah, it feels real good. <laughs> and you've been suffering a little bit with the uh, the heat. Yeah, well, yeah, man, I'm I'm older now, right? <laughs> and I'm already, I mean, I don't do great in the heat. I sweat like crazy. I don't have yeah. the genes to be out in the heat, evidently, which is you know seen by my skin cancer. But right. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I've been struggling a bit with that, and uh, it felt good when it cooled off, and I got to yeah. really, you know, once it cooled off, I felt like I had a lot more energy, and the crowd had a lot more energy, and it right. was fun as hell. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I guess it happens to all of us, you know. Once you don't do street shows for a while and you start doing them in the sun again, it's just like, oh, crap, you know? Oh, yeah. But I, I, I'm still just used to it. Um, and I don't sweat much. No, sweat man. I mean, you, you wrung out your shirt in I your shirt. Right out out and shirt. It just yeah. sweat. <laughs> yeah. <It's> crazy. <laughs> Nothing I can do about it. I yeah. wish I could stop it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yesterday, I drank. So I must have drank. Mostly Gatorade. I do Gatorade, half Gatorade, half water, because yeah. they say you can't assimilate all the stuff in the Gatorade, so you uh -huh. cut it in half. So anyway, I mean, I must have had over a gallon or some crazy thing. Yeah. Plus, I had, you know, a Coke at one point. Anyway, point of the matter is, I did not urinate the whole day. Yeah. yeah I sweated like out every yeah. single drop of it. It yeah. was crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that first, that first, it was the second day I saw you, like, crouching in the trees there after your show. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like, no, yeah, the man. first show of the second day, yeah. I was, I just went for it like it was just going to be a normal show, and halfway through, the sun came out. I was trying to the humidity, you know, because yeah. in LA and it's a desert, it's dry, you know, get that humidity. I was sweating like crazy. My uh, halfway through the show, I had a little, you know, a little lightheaded feeling, you know. Started taking it really easy, paced myself, yeah. made it to the end, and then went right to the shade and sat down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Al was nice enough to bring me a Gatorade and stuff. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I saw, I saw during the show. I'm like, he's hot. I gotta go get him some. I appreciate liquids. that, man. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I was feeling it. <laughs> when I came back, I was like, "Where's he gone?" And and uh, someone said, "Oh, he died." Don't <laughs> <laughs> they? And I go, "Oh." And then someone else pointed where you were. I'm like, oh, there he is. He's up in the trees. I mean, the whole crowd knew. At first, I was like not saying anything, but in the end, the whole crowd knew because when I finished the unicycle thing before the chainsaws, I took a. I said, you know, I'm going to just sit down and have a little drink of Gatorade. And I think I, I don't remember what I did. I think I went to a shade and had Gatorade for a second. So the crowd kind of knew what was going on. Right, which, right, right, right. Yeah. Might help with the hat. Who knows? A little, Maybe. little sympathy money, you know. You know <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and uh, me and you have been sharing pictures all week. It's been yeah, cool. it's been cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right tomorrow, too, right? Yeah, tomorrow again. Yeah. What's your last day? 
Uh, back on the helipad. Only two. Oh, cool. Oh, good for you. Right on. Because yeah. I'm back to historic properties then. But, oh, you know, right, right, right. But I won't use as much energy there, so that's probably right. good by the last day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you think you continue uh, get, coming to do more street festivals? I think so. Yeah. We'll see. You know, I, great, I, I feel like what I want to do is try a new one now. Right. When I have it done, just yeah. to check it out. You know, of you've mentioned some to me that are they're happening. So yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. See. yeah. Wow. That's cool, man. Because your show is super tight, man. It's really nice, and and like it's always. I remember when I saw it back then. It was always really good with the sound cues and the music. Mm-hmm. All that was like a big part of your show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always, I've been trying for years to make it part of my show as well. Have like a soundtrack. But I, when I do actual street shows, I don't use any music at all. Because, oh, you don't? No. Oh, wow. Okay. Just because uh, I, I, I want, like, there's less focus than there used to be on the street. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, just having voice and jokes yep. just keeps the focus. That, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, but when I go to a gig, when I go to a convention, when I go to a festival, I have a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I have songs, I have this, I have that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so. Well, that's wild. I didn't know you did it without music. Yeah. Yeah. See, to absolutely. me. To me, without music, it's harder work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you fall back on the music. Yeah, yeah. But and that's same with stage. You know, I mean, the more you work in the sound and lighting, and you know, it yeah. makes the show bigger without you having to yeah, do more. Yeah. Nah, it's cool, man. Well, your show is super tight now. So when I first, so when I met you in Wellington, you'd only been doing it a couple of years. I would I say Butterfly two, Man, two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, Butterfly Man was all. I'd already seen your show. I think I said, and I knew right away I hadn't seen a, a pole act, you know, somebody getting getting the crowd stacked that deep right, with the pole right. like that. And so uh, Butterfly Man was like, what did you think of the show? I was like, damn, I, I loved it. I was impressed. I haven't seen you know a crowd like that. That was killer. I was right. like, going on about it. And then he was all, yeah, he's been doing it about two years. And I totally thought he was joking or lying to me. Right. Or I thought there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turned out it was two years. Yeah. But uh, but now seeing it today and the other days, it's even tighter now, man. So right, congrats right. on that. Yeah, yeah, man. Just uh, I don't do as much street as I used to. It's maybe only like I do maybe one weekend a month, um, you know, from like April to November. Because uh, I'm just away a lot doing you know festivals and conventions. That's great. But when I do the street shows. I feel like it makes my show tighter every time. Right, totally. Yep. You know? Yeah. So I'm like, ah, oh, got to drop that thing that I've been putting in that I don't need to say. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean, I guess I get the same thing if I'm doing a fair. It's just doing doing a lot of shows it yeah. helps to do it. Like when I'm doing colleges, corporate, whatever. What I've done for the last however many years, mm. it's easy to not keep. You know, to, number one, it's easy. Just keep doing the same show and never add anything to it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I've done a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's also easy uh, to not, you know, it, does, it doesn't stay tight because by the time it's been a week since you've done the show, you're just you're getting back to the level you were yeah, at yeah. that last show. If even that level, you're not surpassing it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it tightens it up a lot for sure. Um, That's bo- cool. Both doing the show a lot and in particular being on the street. Where, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's more, you know, demanding. Yeah. <laughs> Um, how did you figure out, or did someone help you out with it, or did you figure it on your own, how to start and stop three chainsaws? I figured that out. So for three chainsaws, so I'd done the one chainsaw for the commercial, right? Right. So then I got hired for another commercial, McCormick's Spices. And so I show up. They say they want the chainsaw judge. So I show up with the chainsaw. With the same chainsaw? Yeah. And they and now, by now I've done it at Venice Beach a couple times. Right. And I've got a giant one. And they go, and they're like... 
oh, but you do three chainsaws, right? And they're like, no, I do one chainsaw. That's, right. that's It's way too heavy. And they said, oh, the shot has to be three chainsaws. The only way it's going to work. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I can't, you know. I go, but if you don't want them turned on, if you guys want to, you know, spend a couple bucks, we can go buy electric chainsaws, take the motors out, light, you know, just have a prop. Yeah. And they were like, sure, great, let's do that. So they sent me with a PA with some money, and we went to the hardware store, and we basically, we put props together. I mean, you know, it was yeah. just... You know, all the shells of a chainsaw yeah. with a handle on it, and I did that for their commercial. And then um, my agent, who was tr- uh, actually Coralie Junior, if people know who she is, uh, she passed away, but uh, she was a legendary variety um, agent in Los Angeles. Like, you know, if anyone was making a movie or a TV show back in the day, and they wanted some kind of crazy variety act or sideshow act, she was the one they called. Right, she was right, an right. awesome, awesome uh, woman. So then she told people in Japan, she sent the tape to Japan of me doing that commercial. So the people in Japan were like, yeah, we want to hire him. Right. And then she calls me up saying, yeah, okay, the trick. they want the three chainsaws. <laughs> exactly. So I said, I don't do that trick. And she's like, well, they'll all hire you if you do that trick. And they're going to pay me all this money and everything. And I was like, oh, let me see what I can do. So that's when I found the other brand of chainsaws, Echo, right. that was lighter. Yeah. And I put the three together. She said, oh, so I got the echo chainsaws. I thought I was going to start, because I knew I couldn't start holding two in one hand, right? Yeah. So I thought I was going to balance one on my chin. And let it fall. And drop it in. Whoa. So I started trying, I started learning it that way. And it was working to a point, but it's a big drop. It's a big drop, and the rotation is in the wrong direction, right? It's yeah. not going into your hand, it's going out of your hand. Yeah. And because it's so heavy, like a, like a juggling club, you know, even though the rotation's wrong, you can just grab it. Yeah. But because it's so heavy and it's rotating away... I could do it, but it wasn't like 100% sure fire. So I was like, there's got to be another way to do this. Well, the fortunate thing was those chainsaws come with a little uh, bar tip thing, uh, a little piece of metal that goes around the the chain, so you could set it on the ground without the chain touching the ground. So that gave me the idea, because it was already on there, and I was like, ah. Yeah, so then uh, I I just put a pad together. I I found if I leave it on the ground, it would vibrate a lot, and it would just slide out, but if I, you know, put it on the pad or whatever yeah. it worked so that's what I started doing yeah yeah. and then I learned it for the the Japanese TV show I yeah. learned the whole thing and what year was that? that you know I have a plaque because the show was called Super People of the World and I have a plaque <laughs> of it and it was sounds like a Japanese, Japanese thing exactly it was 1992 and I am now a super person of the world and wow. have a plaque on the wall and I also I had a Guinness record with it for a while too right. and I have that plaque on the wall too which is kind of cool because I've never really collected a lot of stuff and like that, that was that for most amount of throws Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. What was yours? So mine was, it's 78 or 79 catches. Wow. So what happened with that was, um, you know, I've been, by then I've been doing the three chainsaws for a long time and stuff, and I did I did a TV show in Finland. Mm. It was sort of, it was actually a strange connection. It was like a friend of a friend's was a, a talk show host in Finland, and he had mentioned to this producer. So anyways, I get on this TV show in Finland. I do the act. You know, they, it goes great. They love it. And come back home. And a while later, he emails me like a year later saying, hey, there's a guy over here who set a world record for chainsaw juggling, and I think he got the whole idea from seeing you on TV. Right. So if you'd like to come back and try and break his record, you know, we'll, we'll fly you over and pay you and have you on again. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I do. Cool. <laughs> and so 
like practice like crazy, you know, because I mean, they're heavy. I mean, there's no, yeah. like, I had to get in shape for it. It wasn't yeah. like I could just do it. So at home in practice, I did 102 catches. Right. But by the time I you know, traveled over there and I'd already done the whole, like, 15-minute show for the TV thing, and then the record time was at the end of all that. Yeah. So I was a little tired out. But the, the guy over there... Yuha over there who had broken the record he came to the, to the studio that day they like let him come to the studio audience and stuff yeah. and it was funny because when I went for the record he stood arms crossed just looking all mean right next to the camera like right. trying to intimidate me or right. something you know but he hadn't done that many he'd only done like 36 or 38 or something so uh, I easily beat it you know and uh, and that was that was cool. Awesome. <laughs> that was fun. Has anyone done over a hundred? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know about over a hundred, but I know. Well, see, they're definitely lighter chainsaws. You know, there's yeah. actually some people use chainsaws a lot lighter than what I use. So yeah. I think, man, I think I've been told there's some chainsaws that are like six, five or six pounds. I think I could do way over a hundred with those. Right, even yeah. now, even at my older age, out of shape, I think. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but yeah. you know, my chainsaw is lighter than yours too. Okay, well, someone someone beat my record. Aaron, Aaron, something in uh, in Aaron or, Greg. or Aaron Gregg in Oregon beat yeah, my right. record, and then I think Ian Stewart, who we saw, does he currently yeah. have the record? Then Ian? I don't know. I don't he think he it. does either. So I don't even know who does then. I think he did break Aaron's record. I think so too, but I don't, I don't know where it stands now. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't just know. have to Google it. But I got lucky because Aaron. Uh, so so I set that record on the finished TV show, and then I don't know. Well, Guinness wasn't. We didn't tell them ahead of time, right? So they like to have someone there to to make it official, but yeah. there was no one there. So oh, it took really? a while. Yeah, but once the producer. When I sent them the video and everything, just because the producer said he was, he was like, "Well, it's definitely a record. We should make this official." And I was like, "That'd be great." So I sent them the record, and then he followed up, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm the producer," and all, you know, signed the papers and everything. Yeah. And uh, it did get made official. Um, and then uh, I just lost my train of thought on that. Must <laughs> be the beer. But, but yeah, uh, maybe you'll do it again. That, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. here's the thing: is that back then I trained so hard to do it, yeah. and I wasn't sure should I break it by a couple throws right. so I can keep, keep breaking, breaking it. it. But I was already old enough that I felt like I'm not getting any younger, and right. it's like harder to get in shape. Maybe I should just do as many as I can, right. <laughs> which is right. what I did. I yeah. just went for it, you know. I did another Guinness show later in Spain, I think it was, and. Well, I full well knew I couldn't come near my record because I hadn't been working out and doing it. Right. <laughs> so I went ahead and took the gig, and I, a uh, man, I got. They, I was supposed to beat seventy nine throws. I think I did like fifty two throws. Oh, I was like right. fatigued that I had right. down enough, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> what I was in that moment? Did you just stop or you drop I, one? I dropped one. I actually oh. dropped one. Yeah, yeah. I was embarrassed, but you know, I got paid. Whatever. <laughs> I've, I've never dropped the chainsaw. Um, I've only I. I dropped one once because the handle broke. Oh, bummer. And it was a chainsaw that I bought off someone. So it wasn't oh, yeah, quite one of my handles. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> my handles are like uh, top notch. Do you know what I made originally when I first did three? Well, even with one, I think I did. But I originally took, you know, uh, they call it plum- plumber's tape. To the, other thing, the metal stuff with little holes in it. Sure. You know that? So I just made it with PVC. Right. And that plumber's tape stuff. Right. And I thought, oh, that's all you need to do. And then I broke a handle. Oh, and it freaked me out once yeah. I broke the handle. I was like, I'm going to find a machinist to make these yeah. proper handles. <laughs> you know what's happened to me twice now is that um, I've gotten ready to juggle the chainsaw. 
something's happened with the chain. It's gotten caught, stuck up, yeah, and yeah. stopped and everything. And then basically the chain, the bar, the thing that holds it on, all falls off oh, yeah. under the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there with a motor going, me, with nothing on it, right? Both times I've done it, once was in a street show, once was at a convention. Both times I've done it, I've gone, folks, I can put this back together in about two minutes. Do you guys want to stick with me, right? (laughs) And put it all back together, do the trick, and everyone's like, yeah! That was great. Yeah, I've had, to, I've had to fix the chains out in the middle of the show, yeah. and it's great because people will wait for it. Yeah. You, know? you don't have to worry. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's pretty rare that one of the, a chainsaw won't start because uh, I practice at home a lot, and you know my chainsaws are always in pretty good condition. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, there's, there's been a couple of times where it's taken me you know 25 pulls to start a saw. Oh, it's just like so. I went on that show. Uh, 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 30 seconds of fame or 60 seconds uh-huh. whatever it was that was the last time I ever did, did, a, did a contest show but because right. you can just look horrible right I mean if you get beat by amateurs people hiring you for good mm. money are going like why am I hiring him for all that money right. so anyway on that show it said in the contract we reserve the right to add you know audience no- sounds that weren't there blah 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 uh-huh. you know you uh-huh. saw this thing that they're going to alter the footage that they want or whatever yeah. so sure enough they freaking did I, it took me four or five pulls to start the chainsaw. Boom. And they had booze, yeah. It yeah. was like I watched the back. I was like, nobody booed. Where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Total scam, man. That's what you, uh, I'm sure you've been contacted by AGT. Yeah. I, I boycotted AGT. Everybody should boycott AGT. They're making <laughs> millions upon millions of dollars and paying zero. It's insane. Don't yeah. do it. <laughs> It won't work though. Everyone's going to go because they yeah. want the publicity. But yeah. and every the first year. year they called me up with the first year of the show, they they emailed me, mm. and then I got on the phone with the producer, and he, and I said, well, by the way, I'm union. So do you hire union acts? And he says, well, yes, we do, but we don't pay. And I said, well, no, I'm an after. They would never let you have a contract like that. You're eight right. o'clock NBC prime time. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And he said, no, they gave us that contract. And I said, what? So I called up the union. I said. This guy's telling me we're supposed to work for free over there. Are you kidding me? And the guy goes, yeah, it's a reality show contract. Oh. I'm like, reality show? I'm like, what? Every every contest show ever has paid union actors. Like, yeah. give me a break. And he's like, no, this is a reality contract. They don't pay anything. I'm like, NBC primetime millions of dollars. They're like, zero? And I was like, yeah. So I'm like, well, I'm not going on. <laughs> right. And then every year when they contact me, I just give them the social spiel about how they should start paying their actors. Right. Da, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I told, uh, uh, I was talking to uh, the Passing Zone guys, John uh-huh. and Ellen, for people who know them, who've been on AGT a couple yeah. times. I said to them, I said, I had this idea that uh, somebody should go on there and and publicly protest how people don't get paid, yeah. but, but also say... Uh, look, I think it's ridiculous the acts don't get paid. If I win, I'm going to pay everybody, you know, the, the parts of the winnings or something right, like right, that. Right. You know? yeah. And he said it was literally in the contract already that you couldn't do anything like that. Right. <laughs> I was right. like, yeah, of course it was. Well, I mean, it's like there's a clause in the contract that if you win the million dollars, they pay it to you over 40 years. Is that what it is? After taxes. Is it a million dollars now? Originally, originally, it was all it was was a contract at Circus Circus. Oh, really? Like, who the hell wants to work at Circus right. Circus? <laughs> it is like... But, yeah, but yeah. now it's real money. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But 40 years, my God. Well, at least you can get good credit and borrow money yeah. <laughs> against it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot of my friends have been popping up there the last few years, which makes me think that the contract is better now. 
Uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and uh, somebody who the hell told me that? Somebody I know who's like who's union and done a bunch of TV. Who the heck said that? Said that they sort of treat uh, you know if you are a full on professional, maybe even union or whatever. They yeah. sort of did treat him a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. Of a separate area and stuff for people and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But here's a crazy story. So uh, uh, how did this all go down? So ch- so so the other guy, Robert Gruenberg, had already been on the Tonight Show mm. once with Johnny Carson, right? So then Jay Leno is going to be uh, doing a thing from Vegas. He's going to be doing a week of shooting in Ve- his show in Vegas, right? right. So Robert Gruenberg. So okay, so Chuck Harris has been booking me in all these TV shows in Europe and stuff, and making all his money off me, and I'm getting ripped off. And he keeps saying, "If you do this show, I'm going to get you on the Tonight Show." And I said, quit promising something you can't, you know, we're just right, going right, right. to get a time. You don't have to get him in Tonight Show. So he's told me this, like, so many times. I'm going to get you on Tonight Show. So then Robert Gruenberg tells me, hey, I got booked back on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. He's going to broadcast from Vegas. I'm flying up there to do the show next right. week. Right. And I was like, really? Oh, that's wild. So I called Chuck Harris up. I said, hey, Chuck, you keep saying anything about Tonight Show, right? And he's like, well, I'm going to, kid. I'm going to get you on there. Yeah. And I say, well, I don't think you are because they're going to have a chainsaw juggler next week. So it's probably going to be several years, if not a decade, before they have another chainsaw juggler. Yeah, for yeah, reason. Yeah. And he goes, what, what, what? Hold on, hold on, hang on. And I heard, and I don't believe any of this. He picks up another phone and calls, and I'm like, he literally doesn't just put me on hold. Like, I'm on a phone listening. Right. And he goes, yeah, that's, you got to get my guy on there. And he's doing this whole thing, and I'm right. not buying any of it. And he comes yeah. back to me, and he's like, you owe me forever. I just got you on the Tonight Show, kid. And I'm like, okay, thanks, thinking he's all <laughs> hot air, you know? And so uh, I'm supposed to go on the next week. Well, then two days later, uh, I get a page. My pager's gone. I've been up at a comedy club the night before, so I'm, like, sleeping late. My pager's been blowing up. What's going on? It's an 818 phone number. And it's literally it's a night show saying, hey, we know you have, we have you on next week, but we had a cancellation tonight. Could you be on the show tonight? Right. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Right. And, like, I literally didn't even believe this guy would get me on. And I literally right. suddenly was going on the tonight show. It was nice. insane. And it was kind of cool that it happened that way, that, so I didn't have time to get nervous. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I literally, they were literally like, yeah. they literally said, we'll have a limo there in two hours. Can you do that? Wow. And I said, yeah, sure. Right. Just <laughs> come so, on and juggle three chainsaws? Yeah. Well, here Here's the thing. So I get there, and the producers are like, okay, so the curtain will open. You'll jump with the chainsaws. The curtain will close. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was a guest spot. I thought I got to do a five-minute spot with all my comedy and stuff. Right. And uh, they were totally shutting me down. They were like, right. well, we've got a comedian. Uh, Bill Maher was on that. Right. We've got a comedian. Our host is a comedian. We don't need more jokes. But Jay Leno was sitting at his desk on the, on the set there going over notes and stuff. And he says, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, this is my chance. <laughs> I was like, well, I do this joke here, and I do that, this, that. And if you could come up with a piece of wood for me to cut, it'd be great. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, let him do that. And I was like, oh, thank God for nice. Jay Lowe. He is the man. Nice. And so I got to like a four-minute bit, you know, building up the one chainsaw, two chainsaws, yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple jokes. And then uh, he even, the producers were like, well, Jay can't be near the chainsaws. And he's like, yeah, I can't. It's no problem. And so he literally, I'm over there doing it. He had the piece of wood at his de- under his desk. Yeah. You know? And after I did two, he's like, yeah, but are those sharp? Are those really sharp? And he comes over and interacts and does the whole thing. Yeah. It was freaking great. Great. And that was thanks to him being such a nice guy. Because yeah, you know? yeah. he didn't have to do any of that. You know, it was killer. But yeah, that was a crazy, crazy. Um, James Corden has uh, variety acts now. Have you heard about that? 
Oh, does he? No, yeah. I haven't really paid attention to that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I need, need more, more TV. To look out for. I need more TV because you know what? I did tons of TV, but it was not when I was doing all my TV. It wasn't high def. Right. So even you know, even if I wanted to use old footage, it just looks pathetic now. Did you so. do Time Warp? Uh, I did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. In cool. fact, we shot that in Boston. In fact. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I remember that. That was cool. That, for those of you that remember, it was a slow motion video show, and I remember. I thought it was you, um, and just when you catch the chainsaw, like everything in your arm just like moves like crazy. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, it's in a slow motion. Yeah, yeah. What I remember watching, I couldn't be how close the chainsaws were coming to my nose. Right. Like I never realized that until yeah. I saw that, that profile slow mo shot. I was yeah. like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, now you probably juggle a little differently. Yeah, yeah. Glad to see you back on the scene. Well, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad yeah. you're here. I'm glad you're here because. I don't know any of these new people. Right. <laughs> I don't yeah, know yeah. anybody that's like strawberry. I know, well, I'd call him strawberry. Right, he used to be strawberry. Fraser Hooper. Fraser Hooper, yeah. yeah. I, I remember him, but yeah. most of the people here, you know, I don't want to sound old, but the, the kids here, I don't yeah, recognize yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nah, he had, to, he had to kill a name. He had to kill, he had to change names. That's what he said. Point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, was, I called him strawberry, and he was yeah. like, wow, well, I knew uh, that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Nah, it's a good lineup here. I wonder if there's a, a sub from the whole story. I wonder, back to crazy stories, I wonder if there's more stories I can think of, specific craziest things that happened. Well, what's the craziest yeah. thing that ever happened? Well, one thing that happened, I know, right? What is the craziest one? Well, the gang member guy was one of the yeah. craziest yeah. things. But also, oh, in Venice, there used to be a lady, Dirty Sally, everybody called her. And Dirty Sally would come up in the middle of your show and you had a whole circle going. She'd come up and she'd say, give me a buck. And she'd be all drunk and everything and raspy old voice and, you know, homeless. She'd be like, give me a buck. And, uh, no, I'm not going to give you a buck because if I give you a buck, every time you come up, you're going to want another buck. So I'm not going to start that game. Right. And she'd say, if you don't give me a buck, you're going to regret it. And I'd be like, I'm still not giving you a buck. And this... Lady sat down. She had like a dress on. Oh, she, no. she pissed right oh, in the spot. No. <laughs> yeah, man. Wow. And then another, another guy comes up and he goes, uh, in Venice, just some random. Uh, he wasn't like a homeless guy. He was just a drunk guy. Yeah. And he comes up man, and he's all, he's all, you want to see a full moon in broad daylight? And he's <laughs> no. the blue in the middle of the show. <laughs> and he just drops his pants and bends over. I was like, what the hell, man? <laughs> some people just see a crowd. And they want to be like the yeah, entertainer. Exactly, you know? it's just yeah. crazy, man. They're just they're just drawn to it. And they go for it. It's insanity. Yeah. <laughs> and one time I had my unicycle break. I had a I was on a cruise ship at the time. And I just noticed that my my six foot unicycle had a little crack around the you know the, the round part around the pedals had a little crack in the metal, and I had just, like just noticed it. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, I should probably you know get a weld on there or do something. And then I'm doing the show. And it broke mm. right in half on me. Right. Fell on my butt on the stage. I was okay, but wow. it fell on my butt. Uh, the crowd couldn't stop laughing. They thought it was part of the uh, show. They're busting a guy. And right. finally, I pull out both pieces and I show them, like, no, yeah. it really broke. And they're just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but then I got a great promo picture out of it, though. Like the old Steve Martin arrow through the head bit. I did those. Through the yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, it was cool. Never had any injuries with the chainsaws? So, uh, first, I remember the first time I dropped a ch- the chainsaw was just, I was, and that was, I was only one chainsaw on two balls, which the, the, the rarely since then, if ever, have dropped at that point. Mm. But yeah, I was, um, first time I dropped it, I was doing some kind of 
it was a party at a park kind of thing. And, you know, one of those setups that just doesn't work great, you know. <laughs> and so there's something going on. My attention was like on the sound or something. And I wasn't, I wasn't paying full attention. And right. I dropped the saw. And I was just like, okay, what do I do now? And I was like, oh, I guess I'll just pick it up and juggle it again. Right. <laughs> and by then, it's built up that much more. Because that drop, everyone's just like, oh, my God. So yeah. it's sort of covered for itself. You right, know, and right, it worked. right. But um, and one time I was at a theme park. I was at Magic Mountain in California, and uh, I'm doing the, the three chainsaws. And I threw one up, and I the last one when it goes up to catch for the finale. And I knew I'd thrown it wrong, but I thought I could get it. And then as it came down, I, uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm just finishing my sake. <laughs> So, so yeah, so I'm at this theme park in, uh, at Magic Mountain, and I'm juggling on three chainsaws, and I threw one up, and I threw it wrong. You know how if you're doing yeah. one spin, you know if you throw it wrong. Yeah. You know? So I knew it was wrong, but I thought I could get it, and then I was like, no, I can't get it. And as I got out of the way, the tip just got, I got super lucky, just right. got my arm, yeah. and uh, I was like, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a shock. Yeah. And so I just finished the show. I just grabbed my arm and said, thank you, good night, and walked off stage. Yeah. And the crowd was just like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And I was okay. Yeah. But being in the theme park, they said the paramedics came like running in thinking they thought there I had severed my arm. Right, These guys right. were like looked like the adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. They came running in there. I thought, like, Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, you got a butterfly bandit, I'll take it. But yeah, other than yeah. that, you know <laughs> they were like, Ooh, thank God. Yeah, I once uh, I once nicked my finger. Oh, yeah. um, doing it under the leg. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I just, I kind of called for a Band-Aid backstage. Yeah. I got one and I just did the show. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah I had a finger neck too, where, but yeah. it could have gotten ugly, but I, was, I got lucky. And again, it was the, it was the, the, the sound or something. Somebody, I might, I was distracted my attention right, right, right. Guy or something. And as I, what was it? I was like finishing the one chainsaw or two chainsaws and my pinky finger hit the blade and I literally could feel it like it pulled like Ooh. but at the very same second I was hitting the off switch ah. so I got cut yeah. but man if I wasn't hitting the off switch at that point it felt like it was about to get pulled in and destroyed wow. <laughs> so yeah. yeah and uh and the crazy thing is I, I mean I think a lot of the crowd doesn't even believe it's it's sharp gonna cut me right. you know what I mean it's yeah. like and oh well here's what I had a guy I did a, a, a movie called uh it's called Ted and Venus, and it was a, it was a movie about a guy in Venice who like went crazy and stuff, and and he was so madly in love this woman, you know, cutting off his ear like Van Gogh and all this crazy right, stuff. Right, right, right. But what happened was he cut it off with the chainsaw. So the bit is he's on the boardwalk and he sees the chainsaw juggling and grabs the chainsaw and he cuts it. Right, right. So I'm there to shoot the thing, and the back then I really had I had the teeth cut down a yeah. bit. It could still cut you, but I had yeah. the teeth cut down so I wouldn't get maimed and. Uh, the prop guy, totally idiot, is all is looking at because they're supposed to clean it up and cover yeah. the logo so you don't see the yeah. logos in the movie. So he's got the chainsaw. I'm a ways away, and I, and also I hear my chainsaw. I hear him saying to the other guy, "This isn't sharp." And I hear the chainsaw, and I look over, and this idiot fires up my chainsaw, and he goes, "See, it's not sharp." And he goes like this and cuts the fuck out of the palm of his hand. What the? <laughs> he just like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell he was thinking about this poor idiot. Yeah, it was crazy, man. Yeah, not sharp. <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, it's like, yeah, when it's spinning at that many rotations, it doesn't have to be that damn sharp. It It doesn't you up. (laughs) That's what people don't realize. Yeah, man. Mad Chad is the chainsaw juggler. The chainsaw juggler. (laughs) That's cool, man. Oh, you almost finished the sushi. Almost. One One more piece. One more piece. All right. (laughs)
Good well, stuff. Let's wrap it up. So I uh, just give a, a final plug for your movie there so people know where to find it. Well, so my movie Buskers for Love or Money is right now available um, on Amazon. If you have Prime, it's free. Otherwise, it's like four ninety nine. But you have to search. The thing about it is, if you just put in Buskers, for some reason it doesn't come out. you got to click Buskers for Love or Money and it pops up and you can so see my movie on it's there. It's free if you have Prime. It's $4 if you don't. And if you come and watch the show, it's 20 That's right. Exactly. Wait a minute. Yeah, that, I shouldn't pitch it that way. No, I shouldn't tell even tell them that way. Shouldn't thank you for clearing that up. But also, I'm working on a new documentary, and I got a little sidetracked through my divorce and all this stuff I'm going through right now. Uh, uh, but I'm working on a new documentary, which is uh, currently called Hollywood Survivors, mm. and it features the amazing Jonathan. Uh, yeah. And also, I'm actually in a documentary that's about to be on Hulu about amazing Jonathan because another guy made a documentary about him. That dude is killer, yeah. hilarious, uh, and cool. I'm I'm in it because part of the story was all the people making documentaries about him. Amazing Jonathan. Right, right. <laughs> but so anyway, th- it's going to be a while till that's out. But Hollywood survives. Amazing Jonathan. Uh, Tony Tony Vera, Tony the Fireman, mm-hmm. is now a paparazzi guy, oh. and uh, it, he's got a whole crazy story. He got beat up by Mike Tyson and ended up suing him. This whole crazy right. story. He's in the documentary. There's a woman named Shirley Clare who I saw on, on America's Got Talent, actually, and she was an MGM girl back in the 40s. And so she grew up with the whole Hollywood studio system, old school and everything. And uh, and then the other person is Tony Dow, who played Wally on Leave it to Beaver, right. uh, has this crazy story uh, uh, of his life. So that's my next thing. Hopefully that will be coming out, uh, Hollywood Survivors. Otherwise, watch for Buskers. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you at the Busker Fest. All let's, right. let's end this with a high five. Sounds good to me. All right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but as I listened to this conversation, I had an overwhelming urge to eat sushi. As always, this podcast is a labor of love, but we do need sponsorship to keep it going and release episodes more frequently. If you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast, contact me at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. You can also visit the Busker Hall of Fame website and throw a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com forward slash buskerstories. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help grow this resource and generate more content. Thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping keep busking history alive. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of the episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you'd like someone to be interviewed or you feel a certain voice has not been heard, please reach out to me and let me know. We're doing our best to capture interviews and stories with as many performers as we possibly can, but it's up to you to help fill in the gaps. So on behalf of myself, Al Miller, who captured the interview and did the preliminary edit, and the rest of the team of the Busker Hall of Fame, remember, if you can't laugh at yourself, find someone else and laugh at them. I'm Magic Brian. Thanks for listening. <laughs>